And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ten months after collapsing on the field at the Euros, Christian Eriksen is back on the field and looking better than ever. The Athletics' Jay Harris, who covers Eriksen and his club team, Brentford, joined the lead to explain how the Danish star has picked up where he left off, why he chose Brentford of all places to make his return, and why, after such a traumatic experience, he's playing the game at all. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Monday, April 11th. First, as usual, your TV guide for today, all times are Eastern, and as is befitting a Monday, it's a pretty light slate overall. At 2.45 p.m. in Syria, we have Bologna hosting Sampdoria, that is on Paramount+. Plus. At 3 p.m., Raya Vallecano versus Valencia on ESPN+. Plus. That's at 3 p.m. And in Mexico, Liga Emekis at 10 p.m., Pachuca hosting Tijuana. That is on Tudene. There are also AFC Champions League games happening at 1.15 and 4.15 p.m. This is match day two, and three games are in each of those windows, but it's a six match day set in the group stage. So there's some time to go. I'm not going to, it's a little bit too early basically to give you specific games to look out for. But if you want to watch some AFC Champions League, that is happening uh, live from Saudi Arabia on Paramount+. Plus. With that, let's send it over to Anders Kelto at the lead for this episode about Christian Eriksen. Jay Harris, welcome to the lead. Thank you very much for having me, Anders. So, Jay, I wanted to start this episode back in time. Can you take us back to last summer's Euros and, as best you can remember, remind us of what we saw happen to Christian Eriksen? Yeah, so it was June 12th. It was Denmark's opening game of the European Championships and they were playing Finland and Denmark were, were playing at home. So a massive occasion for the country. And it was nil-nil at the time and it was the 43rd minute and um, Denmark had a throw-in and the ball was thrown to Christian Eriksen. And as he kind of hits the ball with his foot, he collapses at the same time. Uh, play is going to be halted again, and this does look serious. And wow. I think immediately everybody knew something really horrific had happened. It was so, well, it was just bizarre to watch in, in real time. Christian Eriksen in some distress by the look of things. Well, plays new straight away. That was a heavy fall. Simon Kier, Denmark's captain, rushes over to Ericsson, opens up his airways, and then the medical team rush on, and they start giving him, him CPR. And uh, in total, as Ericsson now recalls, he was, uh, he was basically dead for five minutes. And I think during those five minutes, for the world to kind of watch on live, it was just such a traumatic collective experience. The TV cameras were panning to shots of Ericsson's partner, Sabrina, you know, in tears. They were looking across Denmark's fans. Ericsson is a national icon. He's one of their biggest sporting and cultural figures in the country's history. So this was just such a, 
an emotional moment. The eyes of the world were on the park and stadium in Copenhagen, deeply, deeply affected by seeing one of the world's greatest players collapse and receive cardiopulmonary resuscitation from the medics who have been lauded for their, for their rapid response and clearly... Uh, and then slowly, it seemed as if he'd been revived or he'd regained consciousness. But I think in that moment, nobody ever expected him to ever be playing football again. They were just simply grateful that it appeared he'd come through what turned out to be a, a very, very sudden and dramatic cardiac arrest. Sorry, but I, I have no words. This is so terrible. The game doesn't matter anymore. It's the only thing that he gets better and uh, We just want he to get better. Had you ever seen something like that happen before? Something that shocking happening on such a big sporting stage? The most similar example I can kind of give you from my personal memory happened back in um, 2012. And it was a football player called Fabrice Mwamba. And um, Bolton Wanderers were playing Tottenham in in an FA Cup match in England. And um, Fabrice Mwamba, in a very similar way to Christian Eriksen, just suddenly dropped and collapsed to the floor. He was alive after the incident. He was resuscitated, but he was never able to play football again. So complete contrast to Ericsson. Hmm. All right. Well, after that and after the tournament wrapped up, I think a lot of people assumed that Christian Ericsson's soccer career was over. And to be totally honest, a big part of me hoped it was over. I didn't want to see him come back after going through that. But Jay, what do we know about Ericsson's thought process and how it evolved in the days and weeks after that incident? How did things unfold for him? Well, in the immediate aftermath of his collapse, one of the paramedics handed him his boots and he said, oh, don't worry about them. (laughs) You can keep them. I'm never going to be playing again. Mm. And then he was in hospital for six days in total. He obviously underwent emergency surgery to have an ICD fitted, a heart device. And I think in that first week or two, it was just about recovering. It was about being grateful for being alive, for having his, you know, his partner Sabrina with him, for having his children around him. And then quickly the wheel started to turn in his mind to say, I don't want that to be the defining image of my career. I don't want that to be the last time I set foot on a football pitch. Wow. So you mentioned that he has an ICD, an implantable cardioverter defibrillator in his chest now. I know you're not a doctor, obviously. I'm not asking you to be a medical expert here, but Jay, as best you can, can you explain what it is and how it works? Yeah, certainly. So essentially what it does is, like I said, it's fitted to his chest and and it stays there. I believe it has to get replaced once every 10 years, so it doesn't need that much maintenance work. But essentially it monitors his heart rate and if it picks up anything irregular, it will deliver electric shocks to it to kind of set it back to normal straight away so if there was ever a scenario where he suffered you know touch wood god forbid he suffered another cardiac arrest before the medics can even get over to him that device will already try to kickstart his heart straight away so it's a safety prevention method essentially and it's implanted underneath his skin it's actually in his chest yeah so it's on his chest so when he plays football i think he wears almost like a protective cover over of it he can play with it but he always plays with the icd i should point out but he chooses whether he plays with a protective covering over the top of it or not got it are you aware of other professional soccer players who have been fitted with one of these and continue to play yeah so uh, the best example very strangely is someone called daily blind who ericsson actually played with when they were at ajax so Daily Blind has a heart device fitted, so something very similar to Ericsson, and he's been able to resume his career. So Ericsson actually reached out to Daily Blind during his time out of the game to kind of ask him those kind of safety questions about, 
you know, what was your rehabilitation process like? How does it feel when you go out to the pitch? Do you feel safe? All of those kind of concerns and doubts that were in Ericsson's mind at the time, he had a really good friend, I guess, to talk to through it all. Hmm. Okay, so when all that happened last summer, Ericsson was under contract with the Italian club, Inter Milan. So how did he end up making the move from there to Brentford, of all places? Not exactly the world's biggest club. No, not at all. So... In Italy, they have rules that prevent anybody from playing football, not just professionally, but at an amateur level with a heart device. So Inter Milan agreed to kind of keep Ericsson under contract for the first few months. And in December, they officially announced that they'd released Ericsson from his contract. And it, and it was a mutual decision. You know, we know at this point that Ericsson wanted to resume his career. So he went with goodwill in his heart and Inter kind of wished him the best, but there was no way to get around the rules. The rules are slightly different in other countries. In England, you're allowed to play with a heart device as long as you've undergone a series of assessments. And um, this is where Brentford become prevalent in this story because Thomas Frank, who's Brentford's head coach, used to coach Ericsson when he was in charge of Denmark's under-17s 10 or so years ago. So in the week before Christmas, Thomas Frank picks up the phone and he calls Christian Ericsson just to check in, really. I think the first phone call was just uh, just to say hi, really, and see where... He was asking a lot of questions how I, how I feel, obviously, and uh, where my thoughts were of uh, getting back to football. It was very much, hi, how are you doing? But it was the first kind of opportunity for them to really catch up. I think Ericsson spoke in that moment about that he wanted to kind of kick on and, and, and restart his career. Yeah, and then really it took off from there. I said, yeah, I think you should, uh, we should keep in contact, see what happens. So they continued to have conversations and then Thomas Frank eventually floated the idea of Ericsson joining Brentford. Thomas Frank took that to, to Brentford's kind of recruitment team and leadership team and said, you know, I think this is a is a deal that we could do. And, you know, lots of people have, have kind of come out and said, you know, how's he ended up at Brentford? If he was ready to play football again, why didn't he go back to Tottenham Hotspur? Why didn't he go to, to other bigger teams? And I think... Crucially, Ericsson's kind of spoken about, you know, just enjoying the little things again and just living in the moment and really taking care of his family. As a person, I think, as a father and a family man, it has changed a bit just because you can be with your kids. I am here a bit more and the focus will be more on them than it was on me. But at the same time... I still so for him, going back to London a familiar environment where he'd spent a large part of his career was a really, really crucial factor. And Brentford could offer him that. Um, I had a good feeling it's in London for my family. It's a good place to be. Uh, they play in the Premier League. And for me, for, for the next uh, four months or five months, really, to, to get up to level and get to, get to show who I am, that I'm the football player um, again. Another factor, which I kind of touched upon, Brentford are kind of known as the Danish club. I won't get into it now, but they've got loads of Danish connections, loads of Danish connections. They've got Thomas Frank. They've got lots of Danish players in their team other than Ericsson. So Ericsson could go into an environment where he knows so many people already and they're going to kind of help him with, with whatever he needs. Brentford are a small club traditionally and he's not going to go into that environment and be placed under immediate pressure to perform for you know, a Tottenham Hotspur who are fighting for the Champions League, massive media scrutiny. Ericsson could go into Brentford's dressing room and, and pretty much become their biggest player overnight. But they'd give him the kind of time and space that he needed. So eventually, Brentford and, and Ericsson decided that he joined them on a six-month contract and it, it's not worked out too badly since. All right, so Jay, take us to the moment where Christian Ericsson made 
his return to professional soccer. Where was he? What was that moment like? So his first kind of introduction to the fans was ahead of Brentford's draw with Crystal Palace. He wasn't playing that game, but he kind of got paraded in front of the fans before kickoff. And, you know, it was a great round of applause. He watched the game from the stands. And then, you know, everything was kind of lined up for him to make his uh, his debut, his proper comeback in that match against Newcastle. Things didn't exactly go according to plan because Brentford had a player sent off after 10 minutes. And it looks to be trouble for Josh De Silva and he is off. And now they will have to play around 80 minutes or so with just 10 men. And they were 2-0 down by half times. But then in, in the 52nd minute, Ericsson comes on for Matthias Jensen, who is his Danish international teammate. And Jensen was actually the player who replaced him during that Denmark-Finland game at the European Championships oh, wow. all that time ago back in June. So one of those strange moments in life. All four sides of this stadium welcoming the return of the miracle man, richly talented player, gracing the Premier League once again. Two years... One of those moments where it was a privilege to be a part of, to just kind of witness such a, a special moment. A moment we thought couldn't possibly happen. Christian Eriksen making his competitive return to action eight months after he collapsed to the turf in front of a global television audience at Euro 2020. And just listen to the reception. And so how has he done since he returned? So within six weeks, he's gone from coming off the bench. No one knew what to expect. They'd lost six out of their last seven matches before he joined and now they've won three of the four that he's played in. And I think there are a, a couple of the moments that stand out. One is um, Christian Eriksen pulls off this assist in Brentford's win over Burnley. Eriksen looks like lasting the 90 again. It's easy cross! He played this cross, which just curled around the defenders and just landed perfectly on Ivan Tony's head. And this little bit of magic with five minutes to go that just sent that crowd into absolute raptures. It's all about Christian Eriksen. We know what he's capable of, but with his left foot, this ball is so inviting, it's brilliant. And then he goes on international duty with Denmark, comes off the bench and scores with his first touch against the Netherlands. Within two minutes of his return to international football, Christian Eriksen strikes for Denmark. Gone. But I think the real special moment was when they played Serbia in their next game. And that was in Denmark at the Parking Stadium, the scene of his collapse back in June. And he uh, captained the team. And Eriksen scores in the game. This is Eriksen, the crowd would love a goal for him. And they get their wish. Two goals in two games. From the Danish superhero, Christian Eriksen. One of my colleagues who was in Denmark, who, who covered that game, spoke to a few fans, and the fans called it almost like a rebirth, this kind of you know, horrific incident that they've all gone through, and now they've come out the other side shining. So you think there's going to be a point where the magic runs out a little bit, and then he goes to Chelsea with Brentford, you know, Chelsea, the, the Champions League holders, the Club World Cup holders, and um, 
Brentford blow Chelsea away 4-1. Ericsson checks his run superbly. And what a lovely finish by him as well as he clips it over Mendy. What a great finish. You know, he's got through that emotional first return to a football pitch. He's got through that emotional return to playing for Denmark again. And now he's just scoring goals and, and providing assists for fun. So it's been, um, it's been simply sublime. Okay, coming up. At least one person doesn't think Christian Eriksen should be playing. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so... Jay, I don't want to take on any of the luster off of this incredible comeback story, but I do want to ask about people who might be concerned about the fact that he is back and playing again. You cover this team as close as anyone. Do you sense that there are people within the organization or connected to the organization who who are concerned and who are worried every time he sets foot on the field? Internally at Brentford, no. I'd spoken to people at the club and they said, we're doing all the tests possible that you can imagine. They were under no illusion that it was a complex scenario, but they just felt that they'd done everything that was necessary to enable Christian Eriksen to play football safely again. And that's the key word here, to play football safely. And they feel that they've done that. But I can definitely remember when it first became public, Fabrice Mwamba, who I touched upon earlier, who suffered that cardiac arrest you know, over 10 years ago, he put quite an emotional 10-minute video up on YouTube and he basically said, why? Does he really need to come back and play the game? I can see the idea of him wanting to play, okay? As I said before and I said it many times, football is the biggest and the most, the biggest drug ever. He said Especially that Ericsson should just be thankful that he can, can go home and hug his children and, and, and kiss his partner Sabrina at the end of the day and that he should just focus on, on something else in life. Obviously, what about his, his young family, his, his, his wife, all, all this stuff that you, you know, we all cherish for, does he need to sacrifice that for the game of football? Personally, and this is me, that I've, ne- I've not spoken to the guy, I've sent him a message and he's come back to me and I've given him the space. It was a really... Personally... Really powerful video. Definitely made me take a step back from a moment and kind of consider just the, the implications if something were to go wrong with Ericsson. You know, if, if he come to Brentford, everybody that's involved in it will need to be looked accountable because you decided to sign somebody who has a medical problem. And I want to know which issue... But, you know, Ericsson himself has basically said, with the ICD device fitted, I'm probably safer than most footballers anyways. She said, if there was any anxiety... I wouldn't go back. I'm trusting the doctors. I trust my heart. I trust my ICD. I feel 100% to go back. I trusted my trainer. I trusted my doctor straight on and really followed 
the plan they made and that made me more comfortable, more relaxed about it. I had no I had no stress or no gains or anything. I just wanted to be tested properly in a safe way. And he's also said that he has no pain from what has happened. And this is where he finds it a little bit difficult to understand the reaction and the emotional response that people have had to to him restarting his career because he can't remember what happened. His last memory is him hitting the ball with his knee and the next thing he wakes up in the ambulance. And, uh, and then I wake up, see my open eyes and I see people all around me. And then first in the ambulance, I heard someone say, how long is he, how long was uh, I out for? And then they said, around five minutes. And then that's the first time I heard that I was gone. For me, it was... He has no recollection of it. He just gets loads of people coming up to him and saying, oh, you know, I, I can remember exactly where I was and how terrified I was. I thought you died. And that's the thing that he's found really difficult to deal with, just that so many people feel like they've got a part of his story. Whereas he's moved on from it, his family have moved on from it. For other people, it's still such a big thing. And he also said that, you know, in time, I hope it will be about the football. It, one thing he said that made me laugh, he said, I can't wait until people are telling me that I'm a rubbish footballer again. <laughs> he says, I've missed it. He said, I want someone to say one week I'm great, the next week I'm terrible. He misses that so much. That's what he craves. He just wants to be seen as a normal footballer again. Has he had to change the way that he plays at all? Or have you noticed him having changed the way he plays at all? Does he run less than he used to? Is he trying to avoid heavy tackles or anything like that? No, not at all. There's one very famous... Um, moment from um, his game against Norwich where um, Ericsson was being a bit mischievous, shall we say, and he pulled a Norwich player down and this feeling of fury came over this Norwich player and he kind of grabbed Ericsson by the top of his shirt and then this realisation hit him that it was Ericsson <laughs> and this player who's Brandon Williams broke out into a smile and they hugged each other. So <laughs> it's a brilliant moment. But, you know, it's, it's hard to tell how much his game has changed because he's only played a few times and it's, it's something I'm kind of looking into at the moment. I think he plays a little bit deeper. You know, Ericsson was very much a, a very exciting central attacking midfielder when he was at Tottenham and he seems to play just in front of the defence a little bit more for Brentford now. But I think that's more just how Brentford wants to play tactically. I don't think that's really anything to do with his fitness. So I've not seen anything massively to, to suggest that his numbers have, have dropped off or anything. He certainly gets involved in, he himself has said he was never good at, at, at tackling, but he, he still tried to give it a go, no less. <laughs> well, lastly, Jay, what comes next for Christian Eriksen? Will he stay at Brentford for a while? And will we potentially see him at the World Cup later this year? This is the million dollar question. And, you know, Thomas Frank, Brentford's head coach, has said, you know, it's no secret we want him to stay. Um, what he brings to the teams in terms of his ability on the ball, calmness, you know, we can always give it to Christian, he will find a solution. Um, and what he Thomas did... Frank said that, that Ericsson's very good at living in the moment and that's what he needs to do. He doesn't need to worry about what's going to happen in, in June or July or in the next transfer market because at the moment he is living this fairy tale. Christian is um, a top player. It's... Um, ongoing fairy tale, uh, and I'm very pleased, of course. <laughs> um, Ten months ago, people would have been over the moon if you told them that, that he'd be alive again and he'd be able to go about his, his business, whatever he did. The fact that he's playing football again, remarkable. The fact that he's playing football and, and playing international football again is simply unbelievable. Brentford are definitely desperate to keep hold of him, but they're willing to just be patient with it. I think they'll kind of hope that he'll feel a little bit of loyalty towards them. I guess the question with Christian is, does he still have a desire to play for a team that's competing at the, the top of the league? 
In terms of will he return to the World Cup, I think if he stays fit, then he will. You know, he's the first opportunity Denmark had to call him up. <laughs> they called him up straight away and he, and he scored twice. So it seems like it's a very exciting future for Christian, for sure. And if he does, you know, play for Denmark at the World Cup later this year, I think it would just be, you know, the icing on the cake of what's been a, a truly remarkable comeback story. Everyone is here, uh, my family, my parents, uh, of course my kids. Uh, and I know what they've been through is even tougher than what I've been through. So it's definitely special for them to, to see me on the pitch. It's, uh, it's something very special. Well, Jay, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks for all your excellent reporting on this. My absolute pleasure. And just thank you very much for having me. You can find all of Jay Harris's coverage of Christian Eriksen and Brentford at theathletic.com. From Wondery and The Athletic, I'm Andres Kelto. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Wednesday next week. Elsewhere in soccer news, Giovanni Reyna has been ruled out for the rest of the season by Borussia Dortmund. The U.S. national team attacker injured his hamstring after just 77 seconds of Friday's 2-0 win over Stuttgart. Uh, Reyna has previously hurt his hamstring in September while playing for the U.S. men's national team against El Salvador. He then suffered a thigh injury on February 20th in his comeback. He ends his Bundesliga campaign with 10 appearances, scoring two goals and adding one assist in the Bundesliga. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic and listening there. And you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you so much for listening and happy soccer to you all. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.